Psalm 65, 11, you crown 2017 with your goodness and your past drip with abundance. That is an awesome scripture for us this year. Amen. And uh, if you want to follow along with us, uh, you can go on rmfchurch.org, click on live events. You can click on that and follow along with our scriptures. When I was growing up, I'd love to hear Paul Harvey and the rest of the story. How many know Paul Harvey and the rest of the story? How many do not know who Paul Harvey is? Angela, you don't know? Mom, what is the deal? No, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. I know. You're not from here. He was, he was, a, national, he was a national radio guy. Did you have radio? Angela, did you have radio or were you before radio? I'm just... <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. He was on radio uh, nationwide, but uh, he, to me, was one of the greatest storytellers of all time. He told awesome stories, you know, and to be honest with you, Jesus was the storyteller. He told great stories. I mean, he'd be walking down a path with his disciples, and he'd see, you know, a grape vineyard or a field out there, and he would just start talking about a, a parable, a story about what they were looking at, what they were seeing. And why did he do that? It helps put a picture inside your mind so you remember that. God wants us not just to hear this message. He wants us to remember. So to help you remember today, we're going to hear a Paul Harvey rest of the story. Are you ready? Go ahead and play that. Rest of the story. In the late 1960s, Fred Smith was a student at Yale, trying without much success to make a particularly good impression on his economics professor. But then Fred got this idea for a brief economics thesis, something a whole lot more interesting than you might expect from a college paper. Anyway, the topic, Fred's original idea now, was a super-efficient, privately managed postal service a hypothetical company that would buy for itself a fleet of jet aircraft and the planes would fly only in the middle of the night? <laughs> Don't get ahead of me. Letters and packages would be taken to a central location for sorting. Then the planes would fly the parcels to their destinations the same evening. That's right. That was the paper that Fred wrote for his economics class. And today, Frederick W. Smith is chairman and president and CEO of that hypothetical company, only it's not hypothetical anymore. Today it employs 290,000 people. It earned $38 billion over the last fiscal year. Oh, in the fleet of jets that Fred envisioned in his economics class paper, there are 672 planes in it now and 80,000 other motorized vehicles in the service of, that's right, in the service of Federal Express, the corporation that began as a college whim and became a worldwide sensation. In 1971, in the beginning, of course, Federal Express was antithetically defined as an alternative to the government-run postal system. But isn't it interesting? Some of the refinements that Fred Smith incorporated into his revolutionary enterprise were indirectly inspired by the government. 
You see, after graduating from Yale, Fred enlisted in the Marine Corps. He would serve two tours of duty in Vietnam. Incidentally, he'd never forget what he considers the best advice he ever got. It was from a Marine sergeant who told him there are only three things you've got to remember. Shoot, move, and communicate. But more to the point, Lieutenant Smith became fascinated by military procurement and delivery procedures. And his observations only encouraged him so that when he got back home, he told himself he would go forward with that overnight commercial delivery service, the one he had dreamed up in college, and his main competitor, the United States Postal Service. Today it's barely holding on to its 32% share of that market against the 31% market share of Fred Smith's Federal Express. And can you imagine? It all started with a college paper for an ordinary economics class. It's not often that the origin of an institution can be pinpointed so precisely. But here's the lesson in all of this. How easily Fred Smith might have been discouraged or did I mention that on that school paper he wrote, the one in which he outlined one of the biggest business successes in all American history, on that school paper he got a C. He was graded a C. <laughs> Only now you know the rest of the story. I worked for FedEx for over 12 years. I was uh, in charge of their aircraft operation in Louisville, Kentucky, and I was the seventh employee hired there. And uh, one of the first employees in Louisville, he tells a story about how hard it was for the company when they first started. And you can read, Google it. You can Google it. Fred Smith was over 20, I think it was 26 or $29 billion in the red. It was $29 million. It was $29 million in the red the first two years. And so he didn't have enough money to make payroll. And so I'm not, ever, you know, telling people this is what you do. I'm telling you the story. <laughs> he had $5,000 in his bank account, and he couldn't make payroll. He went, flew out to Las Vegas, played blackjack, and made $27,000 and made payroll. One of the stories uh, that first employee told me, uh, he said that, um, Mike, he said it was so hard and so bad and the company didn't have money. He said that there were drivers that would go to the pawn shop, hawk their watch to get gas money, to put gas money in their van to make deliveries. You got to believe in something to do something like that. And so the good news is this was... Uh, it was in the early 70s he started. This past year, Fred Smith's net worth, his net worth, not the company, his personal net worth is $7 billion. I think he's done all right. I think he's done all right. And so uh, just knowing how that happened, I just thought we hear so much about uh, the Bible stories in the Bible but there's a bigger picture, and you've been hearing me talk about Pueblo, how that I believe that God wants to see nice buildings, nice school systems, just everything nice, nice. 
But there is a reason. There is a reason. There's a reason why God wants you blessed, healthy, healed, victorious. There's a reason. For the church world, it just seems like we are satisfied with just living a so-so life. And this is not, if you, if you are, that's okay. But I'm just here, I'm a voice, crying in the wilderness of Pueblo, Colorado. <laughs> and the voice is this, that if you do want to expect more, if you do want your life to be more, if you want to walk in a higher place, it is available for you. And God is no respecter of persons. Fred Smith got a C on that paper that was actually the setup of, of Federal Express. And somebody read that, a professional, a professor in a college at Yale thought, well, this is just an average business plan that you got here, Fred. I'm sorry, but it just doesn't measure up. I don't know, but if I was him, I'd be tempted to take my C paper back to him and say, what do you think now? That's just the fleshly part. Eh? Man. Anyway, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, it says this. I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination. Of your what? Imagination. Your imagination is so powerful. God wants you to use your imagination to see great things for your life, great things for your city. Flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of our great hope of glory. We know that it's the reason he called you to himself. And I pray that you explore and experience for yourself all the riches of this wealth that has been freely given to all his holy ones. For you are his true inheritance. Has it been given just to a special few? That scripture says it's been given to everybody who believes in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you have stuff that you are maybe not aware of. And probably, even if you're aware of it, you don't know the magnitude of it. And we don't. But the reason that I truly believe, I know some people may think, well, Pastor, I mean, you just want to live in Pueblo just to live in a good city. Pastor, you just wanted to be... Uh, Prosperous so all of your needs met. No, I, I don't want to just be prosperous. I said this at first service. You've heard me say this before. I want to be a millionaire, a multimillionaire. And that salary will not come from this church. I put everybody at ease at that. <laughs> so are you telling me if I give a million dollars, you get a million? No, my salary's set. My money, I do not allow this church to be my source. You should not allow your job only to be your source. And if you get a Social Security check, you should not allow just this government to be your source. Wow, amen. Yeah. You should. There's, God is not limited by this church. He's not limited by your employer. He's not limited by the government. I'm preaching a lot better than you're responding. I'm just saying. That's good news. Because if you think the government, if I, you know, I, I'm limited by my paycheck. 
Who limited it? You did. I'm just saying we can expand that. And this is the reason why in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, it says, my prayer for you is that every moment you will experience the measureless power of God made available to you through faith. Through what? You got to believe something than what you're not seeing. You got to believe. That's what faith is. You believe something that doesn't, hasn't manifested just yet, but you believe it. He said, this is what you got to do. When you do that, Look at this next part. Then your lives will be an advertisement. Be an advertisement of this immense power as it works through you. I underline that because I think God wants my life to be an advertisement. Really. And some people really don't care about their life if, you know, they just barely make it, if they're living in poverty, if they're sick all the time, that's just life. I'm not here to condemn anybody. I'm here to preach you the good news. That's not the will of your father. God wants your life so blessed that it is literally an advertisement that people are going to come to you and say, what is going on in your life and how did you do this? And then that is your opportunity and my opportunity to say, God. I believe God wants to bless Pueblo so much that people throughout our state, throughout our nation, and even in the Middle East and in Europe come and say, how did Pueblo Become like that. It's on world news about Pueblo. We're known for the marijuana capital of the world. Wouldn't it be great to be known for the most architectural, beautiful landscaping in buildings that it just knocks your socks off? And people go, wow. But it's not just for the sake of having a nice buildings, having a great job. There is the rest of the story. The rest of the story is God wants to be the one who gets all the credit for what he's done in your life and what he's doing in your city. The devil gets a lot of credit for what goes on in Pueblo. I think that's time to change. You know? I just believe that God wants great things to happen in our city. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness. But is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's the will of God for everybody, and that word repentance means not just, it, most people think it just means to ask for forgiveness. In reality, it doesn't even mean that at all. The word repentance means to change the way that you think, do a 180, and change the way that God thinks. Amen. If you do that, you start changing the way that you think, Repentance means you get saved, you get blessed, all the promises are available. Repentance is an awesome word, and I always thought it was real close to being a cuss word. You need to repent. It has a negative connotation to it. The church did that. They did. You go up to somebody and say, you need to repent. What do they think? You've done something wrong. You need to ask for forgiveness. 
Literally, repent means you are thinking wrong. You're going down this road, you're, you are thinking wrong. You need to repent. You need to change the way that you think and think not just any old way, but to think the way that God thinks. That's called salvation. It's called being saved. It's called being the righteousness of God. It's called being holy. It's called being blessed. It's called being uh, all of the promises now are available to us. In the old covenant, they were, they were available to them, but they had to work for them, and there were conditions. When Jesus comes along, all of the promises are available to us, but there are no conditions. I know I don't get everybody to jump on board with that, and that's all right. But, honey, if they're not based upon Jesus, that means you and I have to work for them. And then that's no longer grace. Paul said, he, the church was doing that in his time. He said, it's not because of our works that any man can boast. You don't get the goodness of God because you're living a perfect life, because you have everything in order and you've got your act together. And if your act is together this week, it probably won't be that way next week. I'm just saying, you are human. Anybody here have flesh on today? Everybody? Just want to make sure I'm talking to the right crowd. If you're fleshless, you're probably uh, real close to being perfect in everything you do. But if you got flesh on your body, you may make mistakes periodically. And this is the thing. Jesus and your Heavenly Father knew that. And Jesus comes along and He says, I won't make mistakes. Jesus does not make mistakes. He never made a mistake. And He was the only one perfect. And God said, I'm going to cause my blessings and promises to come through Jesus and flow to my children. That's good news. That's good news. So my point is this. He wants everybody saved. He wants everybody blessed. He wants everybody prosperous. He wants everybody healed. He wants the city to be a top-notch city. He wants everything to be great. You say, well, pastor, that sounds like, you know, you're, you're talking about heaven. In Deuteronomy, the old covenant, he says, I want you to have days of heaven on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? In Pueblo. Ow, let's just make it real. In Pueblo as it is. So what does Pueblo need to be like? It needs to be like heaven. Quit selling yourself short. Your life needs to be heaven on earth as it in, just like it is in heaven. You see how the devil's hoodwinked us, you know, like, well, we just need to get by as best as we can, and, you know, and Pueblo's a good place because you have cheap housing here. Doesn't cost the cost of living is a lot cheaper than it is in Denver, you know, and it's just you know Pueblo. We just you know it's just Pueblo, and so everybody in Pueblo just says, "Yeah, you're right. It's just Pueblo." And then you, the devil to take it down to where you live. Well, I mean, you're making ten dollars an hour. What do you want? And if you're making $10 an hour, I'm not trying to belittle you. 
And we started the church at Holiday Inn, which is not Holiday Inn now. We had a board. My salary was $100 a week. That's a little bit of a cut when I was making $38,000 for FedEx. And that was a long time ago. 38000 may not seem like a lot now, but 30 years ago, 38000 was, wow. That was some good mola. So going from 38000 to $100 a week, you can multiply that at times 52. It's a little bit shy of 38000 In case you struggle in mathematics. It's just short. My point is this. I learned even back then I cannot rely just upon what I do. I have to rely upon him. Are you there? You don't need to rely upon what you do. You need to rely upon him. You do not need to rely upon where you live to be your support. It's just a different little bit mentality thinking. And to think that you can really do well in Pueblo. Can God do well in Pueblo? I'm, you, does he struggle, you know? You think he's up in heaven and go, well, listen, you live in Pueblo. What do you want? The rest of the story. Psalm 67, verse 1 and 2 says, may God be merciful and bless us. May his face smile with favor on us. May your ways be known throughout the earth. May God's ways be known in Pueblo throughout the earth. But that would include Pueblo, would it not? Your saving power among people everywhere. Now that scripture says, may God be merciful and bless us. That is under the old, you know, sometimes we go back to that and then we ask God to bless us because we read things like that. Do you realize that's under the old covenant? And so they have to ask God to bless them. We're under the new covenant where we are already blessed. Don't, don't beg God to bless you. Don't beg God to say, oh God, would you just smile on me? Would you just give me favor? Honey, you got Jesus. Do you think there's something short of Jesus that you need? Come on now. Come on now. Everybody say, I'm blessed. Highly favored. Oh, I'm stinking rich blessed. That's a good stinking, you understand? The rest of the story. Most people know the Ten Commandments, even uh, the, the movie, The Ten Commandments. Even if you don't know the Ten Commandments, you've seen the movie. <laughs> and in that movie, the children of Israel were basically held hostage. They were slaves in Egypt. And God says, I want my people to be let go. They need to be free. And so we know about the ten plagues that God says, Pharaoh, you need to let my people go. And I was talking with Robert, and Pharaoh was like God. There was all kinds of gods that they served. But Pharaoh was the, he was the main person on the planet. He was the God of this world as far as what people thought. And so the ten plagues, the first one turned the water into blood, and then frogs everywhere. I mean, you pull down your bed, frogs jump out. That would be a little gross. Then there's gnats. One translation said it wasn't just gnats, it was lice. 
You ever seen little kid? And you, that makes your skin crawl, seeing these little worms just on top of somebody's head, and you go, somebody take care of that. <laughs> then there's flies everywhere. I mean, we get a fly, it lands on your face or your food, and you get it. Can you imagine just tens of thousands of flies in your house? That's just enough to make you fast and go on a diet or something. Anyway, livestock were just dying, sickness and disease, boils on people's bodies. That was another one. Then big hailstones that just literally all of your crops got destroyed, and then what uh, livestock was left alive got knocked in the head and killed. Locusts everywhere. Grasshopper city. And then it turned dark in the middle of the day darkness you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face and then the last one was the firstborn of every family died well this is the thing after the the third one the bible talks about that in the land of goshen it's none of these things were going to be happening in goshen it didn't say that the first three did happen but it didn't say that they did not i personally believe i've read other theologians you know everybody's got their own opinion and i tell this to everybody everybody's entitled to their opinion no matter how stupid it may be I'm just being funny, lighten up, my, 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 my. Anyway, but it is true. But anyway, I think that the first three didn't happen in Goshen. That's where, you know, Goshen is where the children of Israel were held captive as a slave, and it was inside of Egypt. So you got the big country of Egypt, and then inside of Egypt is Goshen. That's where all the children of Israel lived. And so in the middle of that, these plagues were not happening. You don't think, People found out about Goshen, what was going on in the children of Israel. Could you imagine? Hey, did you hear there's no frogs in Goshen? What? There's frogs everywhere, not in Goshen. Hey, did you hear no hail fell in Goshen? Didn't kill any other. They didn't have hailstones, you know, the size of bowling balls. You know, no hail in there. Yeah, and, and there's no gnats, no grasshoppers, low, I mean, nothing. And then this is the one that just really will... Make your mind go tilt. The sun's shining in Goshen. Now, you can divide up the world and make it turn different and cause everything, but, you know, if it's dark in one whole country and the sun is shining in the middle of that country, that just something makes you go tilt about that. Could you imagine? This is it. You're in Egypt, and you step into the land of Goshen. One step, whoop, and you're in sunlight. You take a step back into Egypt, and you're in darkness. Can't see your hand in front of your face. Are you out there? That is God. You know, they're praying to their sun god. Oh, may the light shine. Even faintly. Twilight. We'll take twilight. Nothing. Total darkness. But where the God is in Israel, the light is shining bright. Wow. But you know that story. I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. Exodus chapter 12, verse 28. Now you got all of this going on. Now how many know in Egypt, there's all kinds, that is the hub of the whole world, known world at that time. That's all kinds of nationalities, all kinds of races, all kinds of languages, all kinds of people are living there. This is what the, the children of Israel let go. They're marching out of there. They're free. But this is what the Bible says. Many other people, 
Other translation says nationalities, people of the different languages and cultures, who were not Israelites, went with them. You don't see that. You know, it's just Charlton Heston and his clan. But, I mean, in the Bible says there's all kinds of nationalities. There's every Tom, Dick, and Harry, every tribe, and every language was saying, can we go with you? And they did. They left with them. Why? I'm telling you, God is the best advertiser. I mean, Apple has nothing on God. And you notice when Apple, they are, I've studied a little bit, you know, I like studying businesses and stuff I've read, and how they advertise, how they get people to think differently than what, to, to purchase their product. They just get you to think differently. They almost make it think, you think that you are so smart and that you know what to buy, and so you're going to buy Apple just because you're smart and intelligent. And they make you think from this way instead of like, buy our product. No, they don't approach it that way. That's why they're a multi-billion dollar company that they are. They're smart about how they advertise. They are unbelievable smart how they advertise. God is the ultimate advertiser. So listen to me. This is why you need to believe about your life, to be different, to be blessed. Please don't anybody feel condemned Guilty. I don't care if, if you're on Social Security or if you're unemployed and you don't have any income coming in. I'm just saying, let's think bigger. Let's think bigger, not just, and let me ask you this. Maybe you do make, maybe you make $80,000, $100,000, $250,000 a year. I'm looking. No, I'm, I'm just, <laughs> maybe you do. This is my point. I'm not just saying we're saying this to be greedy or whatever. I'm just saying there should be such an abundance that you are a walking billboard, not because of your intelligence, because you studied so hard, because you worked so hard. You are in a walking abundance ready to bless somebody because of God. That's the way I want to be. And I know that may cause some people to feel funny because their pastor wants to be abundantly blessed. I'm telling you, it's been my heart's desire. I think, it, let me just give you some things. I would love for some single mom. Her husband left her, ran off with some cute-looking thing. And here she is, left alone with some child. All of a sudden, she's, not, she's been staying home. She has no income. She's been paying rent. I would just love to be able to go to her and say, I've got you a house. I'm sorry, Pastor. I, I can't afford it. I'm not even working right now. I know. And that's why I've got you a house. It's paid for, honey. It's furnished. And until that baby gets up a little bit, you don't even have to put her in um, child care because I'm going to pay all your bills and your food and take care of everything for one, two years. You know, you just take care of the child. I think she'd be happy. I think she would be extremely happy. You can't do that 
if you're making $100 a week. Don't know if you realize that, but you can't. You have to make more. You have to be so blessed. I like, you know, I've heard this from many, many people. But even John McDonald said it last Wednesday. He says, I want to be able to do what I want and not ask my checkbook for permission. Amen. Don't we do that? Oh, honey, let's go and spend a night in Buena uh, Vista. Look at your checkbook. We can't. What are you doing? You're asking for permission. Your checkbook goes, eh, no, you ain't going nowhere this weekend. <laughs> Not this week, not next month, not this year. You're not going, eh, eh, every time you open it up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad God doesn't look up in heaven at his accounts and go, I just want Pueblo to be blessed. Well, look, Michael, don't get carried away. Let me check the books. <laughs> no, we can't do it this week, not this year, 2017. Let's shoot for 2035. <laughs> That's funny, but you think God's doing that? Do we think God's doing it? Do you think he's doing that about our city or about your life? Then why are we thinking that way? I'm not, I haven't arrived. I have not. But I have left and I'm on my way. I am on my way. I am on my way. I'm further along now than what I was. Paul says, this one thing I do, I forget the past and I press. What is he pressing toward? I'm pressing toward the goodness of God. My God has nothing but goodness toward me. My God has nothing but great things toward me. My God has nothing but abundance for me. And I'm living in it and thanking him for it. But if you don't think that's the God that you serve. A lot of people say, oh yeah, we serve the same God. We do, but we really don't. I know a lot of people serve a God that wants you sick. I know a lot of people serve a God who wants you broke. And a lot of people who serve a God who wants you to struggle in life to teach you whatever. If that's the case, the church would have PhDs in a lot of areas. <laughs> I'm a doctor of something. I don't know what. But I've been through hell and back, so I'm sure I'm a doctor in something. David and Goliath. Let me close with this one. Most of us, even people who don't go to church, know about David and Goliath. David goes to take lunch to his brothers, and they're all camped out, scared, spitless. Why? Because there's a giant who's saying, I want somebody to come and fight me. And whoever wins the battle gets the spoils, gets everything. The Philistines, you get all we have. We get all of what you have if you lose. So everybody's just looking at themselves. Saul, the great conqueror, with all of his army, he's staying in the tent. And all of the great warriors, nobody's saying, <clears throat> I'll, I'll do it. Nobody even, nobody's even hinting. So who's going to fight him? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go make uh, lunch. I'm going to go help the... I'm going to go do something. I'm going to go peel potatoes. Yeah, that's what I want to do. Nobody. Nobody. Everybody's scared. Everybody is scared. And so you know the story. David comes, and he finds out, and everybody's talking about it. And so they try to 
get people to give, have some initiative to go and do this. Hey, if you go and fight him and defeat him, if you live through it, you get the king's daughter, and you get all kinds of wealth, and everybody in your family gets taxes free, don't have to pay taxes anymore. I tell you, if that was said in America, everybody would be running, you know. <laughs> Give me my gun. I'll go do it. I don't have to pay taxes. I mean, that, that's enough to make anybody. But back then, I guess it wasn't too much an initiative because nobody says, yeah, I want to live. I, I don't. Yeah, I want to live. I don't want to do that. So nobody said anything. So David says, excuse me, what, tell me that one more time. What do you get? He's just a little boy, and his brother's got mad. He says, would you, would you just go back home, take care of the sheep? Who's taking care of the sheep? David said, I'll do this. I'll do this. 1 Samuel 17. So, David, he's getting ready. They try to put armor on him. It's too big. He's just, so he goes out there in his shepherd's clothes and a sling. I don't know about you, but when I was younger, the boys were really, really young. And I, we were out someplace way away from cars, people, and Nothing could break. Have you ever tried to throw a rock with a sling? It's a lot tougher than what you may think. Because I'm thinking, okay, let's see if we can hit that side of that hill. That hill, not the tree, the hill. Let's aim it toward that hill. Get behind me, over here. Get behind me, over here. And I'm seeing you there. Four. I mean, you get, I mean, I was standing there, and it went 90 degrees. I go, man, David, that was tough. And not only is it tough, the armor bearer in front of Goliath, he held a big shield, and Goliath didn't even hold it. And it went from Goliath's neck all the way down to where nothing could penetrate his body. And he had a helmet, but there was a small opening in the helmet. Just enough for a rock to get through. And I'm thinking, man, I couldn't hit the side of the hill and David threw that thing and went, I mean, it was a self-guided missile. <laughs> Military has nothing on God. He had that back in David's time, man. He had that rock go straight for that hole, the only place he could hit. went, boom. And he was done, toast, dead. So it is, he says, Samuel 14, 46, Today the Lord will conquer you. Who's going to conquer you? Who? He said, God's going to, he, you're just going to be conquered by God. He says, and I will kill you. He said, I'm killing you, but he's, he knows that it's God that's going to do this. And he says, I'm going to cut off your head. How many know all he had was a sling? He says, I'm going to cut, he didn't even have a sword. But he says, I'm going to cut off your head. I don't know if he thought about laser technology or what, but he only had a sling. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men. So we're not just talking about conquering Goliath. Your whole army is going to be bird food. The whole army is going to be bird food, Goliath. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. That's the rest of the story. Are you getting this? It's not about just killing the giant. It's not just about killing the whole army. The rest of the story is this. The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. The point for you being blessed and to have an abundance, to being so victorious and happy and joyful in life that people are going to say, wow, what is it, God? 
Why do I want Pueblo blessed and just the streets running with prosperity and schools and houses and five-star hotels? Why do I want that? God. I don't know if you're getting this, but it's deeper and bigger. The rest of the story is, I don't want to just live in a nice city. Just If I wanted to do that, I could just move to Springs. I could just move to Denver. I don't want that. I want, this is God's advertisement. And I think that we live at such a time as this for that to happen. I'm not saying that Pueblo's terrible now, but how I many you know it can be so great that springs in Denver all the way to Washington, D.C. take notice, wow, yeah, of what's going on in Pueblo, Colorado. Did you hear, man? I mean, the average job in Pueblo is $25 an hour now. Did you hear that? Yeah, that's what most jobs are. Yeah, some of you just about, if somebody passes out, just start waving over If it's your spouse, you can give mouth to mouth. All right, 1 Samuel 17, 52. Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph. This was after David cut his head off. Then everybody on the Israeli army got excited. They got full of faith. All of a sudden. He said the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph. And rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath in the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and wounded Philistines were strung all along the road from Shirim and as far as Gath and Ekron. So all of a sudden, when David did this, it caused courage and faith and boldness to rise up in the whole army. All of a sudden, they said, whoa, God's here. Let me tell you something. God was there before David showed up. Get this, God was there before David showed up. But nobody was going to have any kind of faith. And it took some shepherd boy that God said, listen, boys, you got all of this army full of weapons and full of everything. I'm going to use something that he's not a professional army guy. He doesn't even have a sword. All he has is a sling. But that's not all he has. He has God. And if you have God... (laughs) You don't need a sword to conquer. You don't need a nuclear bomb to have victory. You don't need millions of dollars in your checkbook. You don't need to work for Apple or any company that will pay you high dollars. If you have God, all is available now. So what is the kicker? Can you imagine? Let me finish this story first. The children of Israel, I mean the army, raised up. And they shouted in triumph, like, we've got the victory. Just because one guy, one boy, stood up and believed that God has got this. I'm saying that you and I have to stand up and say, God has got this. How's Pueblo going to be prosperous? How's my family going to be provided for? God's got this. God's got this. And so the children of Israel, the army, right, and they shouted with victory, and they just started attacking and killing and killing. Now, get this picture now. See, I, 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 love, I love imagination, but I can picture things, and I picture things. You should, you can. You can. And so I picture these guys, the Philistines, running through this town, and they're not stopping because 
the Israelis are right on their tail. So they're running through these towns. And can you imagine, you know, mom and Paul Kettle sitting on the front porch <laughs> drinking a cup of tea, you know, or coughing, and all these people start running through, and they go, Ma, what in the world is going on? And these guys are going to be, re- and somebody says, hey, what's going on? What's happening? What's going on? They're not going to just, they're probably saying, the Israelites, there's a God in Israel, man. There is a God in Israel. Amen. Every city they're going to. What's up? The children of Israel, there's a God that's fighting for them and killing us. We're getting killed. And then dead bodies strung the whole way. And the children of Israel are running after him saying, Our God is the victor. Our God is the true God. Our God is God. Yeah, they're doing what David did. God's got this. He's going to conquer you. And then all all of them go, Yeah, what David said. (laughs) That's the rest of the story. My point is, there's a rest of the story for your life. There's a rest of the story for our city. But what is it going to take? I'm going to give you two little nuggets this morning. First of all, just like we read at the beginning, faith. You have to believe that is God's will for your life and for our city. If you don't think that God wants you blessed, if you don't think that, then it's going to be really hard for that to happen. You will have to work 20 hours a day to try to make that happen. And there's people doing that. I'm, not, I'm all for good work ethic. But if you are just basing your prosperity based upon how many hours you can do, then guess what? You'll probably get it, but you'll probably be dead by the time you're 62. My point is this. We need to believe God. That is God's will for me. Pastor, I just make Social Security. What are you going to believe? My income's fixed. Who fixed it? Are you letting the government be your fixer? Are you letting your employer be the fixer? Who fixed it? I live on a fixed income. Well, if it was fixed, it can be unfixed when you believe in something bigger. Believe in God. And listen to me. If it doesn't happen next week, next month, if it doesn't happen this year, you keep believing. But I'm going to tell you something that will help you. All right? So you believe. The second one is this. Start giving thanks for the prosperity. Start giving thanks for the abundance now. Not when you see it. Well, well, I start thanking him. No. How does God see? How does God see Lillian today? Let me tell you how he sees each one of you today. He sees you 100% healed. He sees you 100% abundantly blessed. He sees you 100% every need met. And not just your needs met, but there's an overflow. To where that if you need to give and to help people, it's available. That's the way God, your Heavenly Father, sees you. Why? Because He did that for you and me 2,000 years ago on the cross. He did that for you and me. So if we start thanking Him for doing that for us, and we are believing that, it's going to be manifested. It's going to be manifested. How can two walk together unless they agree? So we've been agreeing with what we've been seeing. We've been agreeing with what people say about our city. We've been agreeing with what people say about ourselves. You 
know, your daddy didn't do very good, and your grandfather died as a poor pauper, you know, and, you know, and your great-grandfather, he, he just died. We don't even know him about it. And so there's just you now. There's just you. So don't get your hopes up too much. That's what people say. Don't get your hopes up. Really? When God says, I am the God of all hope. Where's your hope today? I think you ought to think bigger than you could possibly. Let your imagination go wild. Not just today, tomorrow. When you get laid off or fired. (laughs) When the company closes down. When everything shuts up and dries up, say, Woo, God, what are you going to do for me now? Man, I tell you what, I am so blessed. And people may want to lock you up, but I tell you what, the windows of heaven will always be open to you. God never closes the windows. He never closes them. But we need people to walk in faith. And the greatest way I know to express faith is to be thankful. We live in a thankless society. We need to be thankful. Amen. Let's stand.